Welcome to episode 77 of Delika, podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we are doing an in memoriam episode on the passing of former President B.J. Habibie. We're going to talk not only about our own personal feelings about his passing, but also his unique legacy as one of the true fathers of Indonesian democracy. So here's to it. By the way, listeners, uh, if you have been following the saga of the both of us, I've just recently moved back home to Indonesia. Uh, you might hear a lot of noise, background noise from my end. It's because I'm currently recording. <laughs> I'm currently recording outside in just the overall house space. My old room has been turned into a nursery. So apologies for that. But uh, hopefully by our next episode, I'll have a real room now and we can record peacefully. <laughs> yeah, okay. So listeners, in case you have not been in the news, especially if you're not here in Indonesia, uh, former President B.J. Habibie passed away on September 11th, 2019, at the age of 83. He's been pretty ill for quite some time and receiving medical treatment and being in and out of hospital. But still, nonetheless, I think we just saw when he did pass just an outpouring of national sadness, I would say. Yeah. And... I mean, I I was also really sad because I think I had the good fortune of knowing him. Like, I've had dinner with him a couple of times when I was introduced to him by his granddaughter, um, who's a f- good friend of mine. And, yeah, like, what you see is truly what you get. It's not, like, a front or, you know, posturing of any kind of way. He truly is just the most wonderful, loving man who... If you met him and you're kind of a younger person, he would be like, oh, call me Aeyang, you know, mm-hmm. like call me grandfather. And that's just his personality. And he was always happy to mentor you and give you advice and just be kind of the grandfather that most people never have. Yeah. And I think our country was just very lucky to have a president like him overseeing our democracy. And I think that's why we want to talk more about his legacy and what he did for our country because especially in the last few years um, his popularity resurfaced because of his love story with Ainun, um, his wife who passed and although that is a really sweet story and wonderful story, we want to talk a little bit about kind of his political legacy that we don't often get to talk about as much and how consequential he is to our democracy which I think is kind of the most fitting way I can think of to remember him. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, with his love story, it's so wonderful. And, like, mm-hmm. um, whenever I did have dinner with him, and um, he did talk about Ainun a lot also. And yeah. I don't know if, if you, if for some context, if you don't know the story, is he married his wife Ainun, a very educated doctor, and throughout their life, and he was always just extremely progressive and, you know, allowed and had an equal marriage with her and like loved her and and his book came out um because he was 
as he said it, extremely depressed after she passed away and just like kind of catatonic in a way after she passed. So um, the doctor told him either he was going to pass away following her or he needed to write something down of his feelings for her and just process it. Otherwise, yeah, he would go down with the grief. So He wouldn't recover, right? Yeah, so that's what he did. And they made a movie out of it. They made two movies out of it, I think. And yeah, yeah, they made two yeah, movies. Yeah, so that's how the nation fell back in love with him. But he was just way more than that as well. Pergi ke Taman Pahlawan. Saya nyekar melati. Dan saya doakan untuk Ibu Ayu. Dan selalu uniform yang sama. Selendangnya pengadilan Ibu Ayu saya pakai. Di bawah mantel saya, selendangnya Ibu Ayu. Sebelum saya tidur, saya doakan untuk Ibu Ayu. Ibu Ayu. So, I don't know if this was a part of the book, but, you know, as a feminist podcast, um... I would like to mention, like, I was just digging through my old photos and videos to send my friend um, some of the videos of him and her that I have in my camera roll of, like, and I found this video of him just, like, mm -hmm. he was an engineer at the time, and she was a doctor, and she was, like, you know, they started having kids, and it was, like, either um, you become the captain of a ship or I become the captain of the show, the family, but either way, something has got to give and I'm giving you the choice to pick. Like, do you want to be captain or do you want me to be wow. the captain? That's amazing. And she ultimately chose for him to be the captain, but he was like, up to you either way. It works for me. Just, mm -hmm. I think that's just super cool. And, you know, when I asked and when a lot of us asked him like, okay, so, you know, as women, we're told to compromise and, you know, like, not be too smart or, like, not to be too threatening. And he would always be like, no, <laughs> like, um, no, like, you need to find someone who would appreciate your intelligence and ambition yes. um, and just not to settle. And, like, it's okay to wait for the right person. And, you know, he's always like, just wait for someone who would respect that. Yeah. And... I think that's just such an atypical response from an older Indonesian man for you to be patient and not try to settle down and have kids. Um, and he was just like, find a guy like me. Like, you know, like it's, we're out there. And everyone just like, all the girls just look at each other and we're just like, you're not a common person. Like, not, we really appreciate the sentiment. Like, um, that's part of his charm, right? Like, yeah. And it's like completely not an act. Like, yeah. he is just completely so authentically himself and so unhypocritical. Like, there's no part of him where it's like pencitraan or trying to appear to be something that he's not. This is just who he is and he applies those principles and his integrity to both his personal life and political life, which is... I think this is also why, you know, when he passed last week, there was such a outpouring of love not only from the people but also from politicians that mm -hmm. he's clashed with in the past right like Akbar Tanjung like people from various factions who can even if they have disagreed with him in the past they, they can totally respect his sincerity and his commitment to Indonesia and I think that's such a rare thing to say about any politician 
anywhere, but certainly in Indonesia. Like, we are so lucky to have had him lead the country, even if it was just for a short amount of time. But it was such a crucial amount of time. What would the transition been like if, if he wasn't the one in charge right after Suharto stepped down? The fact that he is so authentic was also, I think, a part of why he's not necessarily a typical politician because what is often said is he's not a politician. Because the reason why Suharto picked him in the first place is that he's a clearly very intelligent guy, an engineer who lived in Germany for a very long time. He's a scientist and extremely Mm well-credentialed. Suharto saw him as like, okay, he's not going to like grab political power and oust me while still like looking good on paper and for international audiences. Yeah. But when Suharto was finally ousted, it is notable that um, Habibi resisted Prabowo Subianto's calls to like give him the power and like, you know, really showed that he had the medal of a leader because it could have gone really the opposite way. It was a power vacuum, right? Yeah, there was a really tense period of time where mm-hmm. um, the military tried to take over post the coup and Prabhu was just like, nope, this is going to transition to a democracy. Yeah. Certainly over the last few years, the, the kind of, maybe other than Jokowi, the kind of leaders that have ascended to the presidency have sort of like worked their way up and, you know, ingrained themselves into the political order. While Habibi, I've always felt like he, he's a technocrat, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not really a politician. His strength and his experience is in these technical details and sort of like the precision of things. And to just suddenly be able to show that kind of medal as a politician and as a leader against mm-hmm. an intense situation is just, uh, I don't know if... If other people could have done that, like the, the bravery and the courage to have to stand up against the military at a very tense time where like, who's to say that the country wasn't going to go into chaos? Yeah. Stephanie, how short was Habibi's reign as the president, as the third president of Indonesia? 18 months. You can carry two babies at that period of time. But that 18 months was, I guess, incredibly pivotal. Yeah. I mean, aside from like making sure that it wasn't seized by military control, he also, he did like some really revolutionary stuff. Uh, in his first few months of office, including releasing political prisoners, like create, like he actually had the joint fact finding team mm-hmm. um, for the May ninety eight crisis. At least get that memory for posterity, um, and get those facts in posterity and into the state. This is it was it's kind of like the foundational record for the atrocities that happened in May ninety eight, and like how we know the violence clearly orchestrated and interviewed so many victims of the rape and the chaos that happened post-98. Mm-hmm. He also created a decree that founded the National Commission on Violence Against Women, which is a Indonesian watchdog that to this day focuses on accounting the amount of 
sexual violence that occurs in the country and assist women who want to go through the judicial system mm-hmm. and like make sure that each branches of government actually do take steps to improve how they handle sexual assault and violence. Yeah, and it's like one of the most functional watchdog bodies and I actually volunteered there. And President Habibi was consistently to the end, like involved with fundraising, like just behind the scenes, like every time they needed someone to like guest star or something to like bring an audience, he would just be like, okay, I'm coming. Like, so he <laughs> just made like, the time every- for them. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I think one of the more pivotal things as well is mm-hmm. he held the referendum for East Timor, which allowed East Timor a real act of free choice to decide if they wanted to continue to be part of Indonesia or not. Mm-hmm. So in that year, in 1989, he acknowledged that Indonesia, the Indonesian military committed various acts of atrocities and held a, free, a real free and fair commission and in a way, this is also what kind of sealed his fate in mm. terms of like... I mean, a lot of people didn't want that referendum to happen. Yeah. A lot of politicians were like, why are you giving? Why are you conceding to them? Why are you giving away the territory? Yeah. The military didn't want that to happen either. They were threatening him over this decision. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, it probably sealed his fate. After that, you know, he had to concede that uh, President Abdurrahman Wahid had to, as was going to take over his... Role at first, he wanted to stay on because he felt like the work wasn't done. The but Kolkar. he wanted a peaceful, democratic process to follow through, so he backed down. But like, I think you can see from what he did with East Timor that he's very firm with his decision, and yeah. I think stubborn in the best possible sense of the word. You know, like yeah. he is a scientist and he is a principled man. And he's charismatic and funny and sweet, but he also sticks for his principles. And um, it's like, it's actions speak louder than words kind of person, you know? Yeah, he stands up for what he believes um, in. Yeah, and I talked to him about East Timor, I remember now, like, and he was like, still, I think this was like two years ago, and he was like, still super very adamant and passionate that, you know, what what he did was the right thing, and he had no Mm -hmm. regrets. And, um, And, you know, like, he said that... People might disagree with him, but that was the right call. That's what's groundbreaking about him, he's right? So he's so he's such an anomalous Indonesian politician, right? Like he is just—it's almost like how did he become a politician? Yeah. <laughs> he was so willing to stand up for decisions that was going to be unpopular, that was probably going to cost him, and it did cost him his political uh, leadership. But he was principled enough and stood by his values enough to say, "This is the thing we have to do, no matter what." Like, the fact that he called free elections after he became president was a big deal, right? Because I, yeah. I could imagine a slew of politicians would just hold on to power. But he was like, no, we need to have elections. We need to let the people decide. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Also kind of sad, right? Because you do wonder a little bit if he had stayed on as president, like how many more of these reforms and changes and modernization could have happened because he did a lot in 18 months. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> Most presidents don't do that much in 18 months. No. I, I like, almost... Um, I Sweden saw this, but I wrote kind of, like, uh, a memorial post, and I just, like, nixed it because I felt weird about posting something like that. But mm-hmm. um, I guess what I, I wanted to say was that um, he is kind of like the president 
we didn't deserve. And um, I think he's the kind of president that, you know, if our subsequent presidents, mm-hmm. you know, followed more of, like, we would have a very different country and we would be so much better for it, you know? Like, he is, like, way ahead of his time, in a way. And continues to and be way ahead of his time. Continues ahead of his time. Like, I think if, if he was president today, like, I still think a lot of Indonesians would struggle with how progressive he is. Yeah. Um, Just begs the question then. Do you think it's better for him that he, you know, because he did a lot, so much after his presidency in terms of um, being sort of like the guiding light and the wise grandfather to a lot of politicians, a lot of young young people, activists, etc. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more useful, I guess, for Indonesia, the fact that he still had this influence, but he was out of the seat of power, so he didn't have the baggage of being president? Yeah. Because sometimes I do feel... Sometimes I do feel a little bit like with him being out of power, he didn't have the pressure of being president. And he's sort of like, he might not be able to directly influence things, but he can like guide the conversation through like his think tank, through his appearances and his influence and his advice with various presidents, various politicians. Yeah. It's almost like he's the neutral base for politicians. Like everybody, anybody of both sides of the aisle can appeal to him and be like so what do you think we should do (laughs) help me please um yeah and it just like shows goes to show like i guess the lack of ego he has you know and like and the respect everyone had everyone had for him yeah yeah like he made himself available not only to politicians right but so much to the people as well and i think mm -hmm. again this is part of the the outpouring of grief and love after his passing is that everybody felt so close to him even though that's not Mm -hmm. true in real life right like but it's almost like everybody felt that he was their grandfather he was their ayang i mean there was a weird moment uh after he passed where people were taking selfies at his grave and that was just just that's just not please don't do that Uh, please don't do that please listeners that's just not cool (laughs) at all (laughs) That's just really weird. And and in my opinion, disrespectful. I don't know. Uh, I get what you're trying to do. I don't understand why that's a thing. Honestly, I'm sorry. Like, why? But anyway, yeah, don't don't do that. But also, celebrate his legacy by truly celebrating the things he fought for, right? Yeah. Instead of just instead of taking all these photos and selfies to commemorate him, like commemorate him by uh, reminding everyone of his legacy, of his work, of the values that he strove for. Right. I think it's fascinating that Habibi, who was, uh, you know, appointed as vice president by Suharto, as somebody who, who in Suharto's eyes wasn't going to be a threat to him, is almost like the antithesis of Suharto because mm-hmm. he advocated for like free press, he advocated for true political democracy and you know, having more than three mandated political parties, um, really being inclusive. And welcoming to the variety of ethnicities and ethnic groups of Indonesia, right? Like one of his key principles is like a democracy that thrives in diversity. Yeah. And especially in the last few years, that's been such a hot button issue, like racial tensions, you know, identity, diversity, etc. Like Habibi advocated and strove for that twenty years ago. Yeah. And we're still we're still talking about the same issues about race, and it's it's. 
it's kind of heartbreaking that we won't have somebody like him to sort of like guide us through this because he he lived through you know the country's worst period in terms of racial tensions and he is always trying to to correct the ship right he's always trying to guide people towards really welcoming people really celebrating the diversity of indonesia because it's such a unique part of indonesian identity and I, and i really do hope that like future leaders future politicians future young people like us really remember that that's one of his key legacies at least in my in my view is that he he did not just want a democracy for democracy's sake he wanted a true robust and strong authentic democracy and that takes work and he was he was willing to do the work yeah he was willing to take the political cost and you know the personal cost it would take and especially amidst the virulent and Gaeri kind of patriotism he knew that his love of country meant that he was willing to make the difficult decisions to to take those decisive moments and make the right decisions and mm-hmm. showing up for those decisions regardless of how it would seem at the time or i think that's the kind of bravery and true love of country that most politicians should aspire to and maybe don't have and i think we as a country were extremely lucky to have him at that particular moment of time in it you know and i don't know when we're going to have a politician like that again yeah um, I don't know. maybe we ought to have less politicians and more scientists in a position of power um it's always like those who don't desire power may be the best ones who wield it mm-hmm. it's this whole idea of you know the philosopher king and from Socrates through Plato, who talked about the philosopher king or like the scientist who, I mean, at the time of ancient Greek, blah, 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 um, the philosopher is also a scientist. They're all like kind of studied people who love wisdom and knowledge. It's like different from like the the conception of philosophers and scientists today, but it's very specialized and distinct. Mm -hmm. But like the idea there is the person who desires power shouldn't be a politician and shouldn't rule it's actually the person who has the most wisdom and knows better should be the one ruling because they know better mm-hmm. and i think it's um no one exemplifies that in our indonesian precedents than habibi did yeah because if you desire power you know it's kind of like you are going to rule for the sake of power and you're going to rule on how to maintain it and it's not and the best ruler should just actually focus on, you know, morally doing what is morally right and to do what is good and to do what is just, as opposed to doing things for the preservation of power and being burdened by how to accumulate that power. And I think that's incredibly important, not just for Indonesian democracy, but also for democracies everywhere in the world right now. I think Habibi's example as a president can be can be looked on as a as an incredible example for anybody like you know even even well-established democracies like the u.s like mm-hmm. people are clinging on to power instead of making the right decisions and we are truly blessed to have somebody like him preside over the country over incredibly tumultuous times and i keep looking back thinking like he didn't have to come back you know he had a mm-hmm. incredible fulfilling life in Germany in terms of like he was really rising up the ranks in the private space uh, in the aerospace industry Mm -hmm. he was an incredibly 
gifted and intelligent engineer, like one of the most one of the smartest engineers, writing a lot of like different kinds of theories and scientific uh, treatises. Like he was incredible, and but you know when Suharto called him to come back, he did. He he answered the call of the nation. Yeah, and that's just incredible. You know, to think that somebody would give it all up to come back. And I think it's uh, sorry to go back to like ancient Greek philosophy again. Yeah, this is just um, Stephanie, guys. Par for the course. Welcome to being friends with me. Um, but you know, like there's this idea of the, the good man cannot be harmed in life or in death, and um, you know, this idea that even though he was surrounded by Suharto's ill decisions and like that whole dictatorship that. He continued to do the right thing in whatever capacity he could, yeah. and like he's just very wise, you know. Like it's not like he's like, oh, I'm not gonna work with him. Like I'm not gonna do whatever. Like he took his time to like make sure that he made the right calls to do the right things for his country. And I think like a lot of young people today, myself included, we're like so impetuous and like mm-hmm. unwilling to compromise sometimes. And it's like maybe, maybe. There are moments where we need to like think about the right thing to do given the circumstances. Are yeah, you know? and not that you need to compromise, but you need to figure out how you can best affect change in your situation. I think it's it's telling that during his presidency, you know, during his eighteen months in power, he created the Habibi Center, which is his independent think tank. I sometimes I'm thinking about this, right? Like almost as if like. He wanted to establish something that can outlive his presidency, mm-hmm. and it certainly did. I mean, he probably did not anticipate his presidency to be so short, <laughs> but you know, he's established something that can continue working to advocate for the things he advocated while he was in power, when he was out of power, and now when he's no longer here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think so many people who have gone through that think tank and so many of the great minds that have contributed to to the work there continues to uphold the values and the principles that Habibi upheld. And it's it's a, it's a sad time for our country, but I'm also, you know, optimistically hopeful. Reminded of how lucky that we had him in the first place and yeah. how I'm sure that there are people like him in our country and we need to find those people and support them in whatever way we can. Exactly. Like Habibi um, set down the foundations for true democracy within the government, but also within society. And it is now our job as the next generation to keep it growing, to keep it flourishing. Um, I think that's the best way to, to really commemorate his life and work. Itu saya saratkan. Anda harus menjadi andalan dari keluargamu dan bangsamu. Caranya, jangan lepaskan budayamu budaya itu dapat dari orang tua dari masyarakat lingkungannya dan dari agamanya sinergi budaya dan agama menghasilkan iman dan takwa yang saya bilang intak jadi budaya itu harus anda kembangkan terus kualitasnya oke okay? jadi cita-cita saya adalah Sampai hari detik ini, insya Allah saya mengalami 
bahwa sumber daya manusia terbaharukan di bumi Indonesia itu kualitas kehidupannya dan keterampilannya meningkat terus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!